You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off this week. As seven Vancouver police officers now face the prospect of dismissal from the force in connection with the death of Miles Gray, we can reveal tonight several of the officers involved are no stranger to the province's police watchdog. As Sarah McDonald reports, one of the officers is facing a criminal trial for assault, while another is named in a civil suit in connection to another high-profile case, that of Constable Nicole Chan. We're learning more about the Vancouver police officers now facing the prospect of dismissal from the force over allegations of abuse of authority in connection to the Miles Gray case. And the names of some of those constables may sound familiar. Constable Derek Kane is with us. Most recently, Derek Kane, seen here on Global News in 2014, was named in a civil suit surrounding another high-profile case involving the Vancouver Police Department, that of Constable Nicole Chan, who died by suicide in 2019. Kane's name was spelt incorrectly in court filings, which allege he and Chan began a sexual relationship that would last about a year and a half in 2015. The same year, Miles Gray died in a violent altercation with police when Kane and his colleagues responded to the call. The civil suit in the Chan case alleges Chan approached Kane about the prospect of joining the force's emergency response team, alleging Kane soon after began sending Chan sexually charged text messages before a physical relationship began. The civil suit alleging Kane did not disclose the relationship to his employer and discouraged Chan from doing so too. None of those allegations have been proven. The civil suit is still before the courts. Yeah. Bo Spencer also named in other high-profile police incidents in recent years. He's due in court in September to face a criminal assault charge connected to the arrest of a cyclist who sustained serious injuries at a Vancouver Skytrain station in 2017. And along with constables Josh Wong and Derek Kane, Spencer testified at a recent coroner's inquest into the shooting death of Daniel Rintoul. All three officers were present when Rintoul was fatally shot by police outside a Canadian tire in 2016. Rintoul had stabbed an employee, attempted to steal a gun and took a hostage inside the store and stabbed another responding officer outside. The officers were cleared of any wrongdoing in that case. The province's police watchdog finding the use of force justified. Just because a person might be in more than one investigation doesn't necessarily mean uh, there is something to be taken from that, although it may be uh, a reason to ask some questions and to look more carefully. Ron McDonald of the Independent Investigations Office acknowledges it's not common to see a general duty officer's name appear repeatedly in multiple police watchdog investigations, with few exceptions. For certain officers, such as um, dog masters or members of the emergency response team, it is not uncommon to see them come up in more than one investigation given the nature of their duties. All factors that could be considered in a disciplinary hearing now set for April. Somebody has seen that there's wrongdoing in this and to the scope of their capability has recommended dismissal. So that to me is something, it's something. As seven officers, including Wong, Spencer and Kane, now face the prospect of having to hand over their badges in connection to an interaction with another civilian more than seven years ago. Sarah McDonald, Global News. 
Well, the Alberta government is planning to make body camera use mandatory for all municipal and Indigenous police services. The province's public safety minister says funding and rollout plans are now being worked on with the expectation the cameras will be deployed quickly. While the mandate does not apply to the RCMP, the federal government has indicated it will be moving toward more body cameras for Mounties. The province-wide mandate has the support of the Alberta Association of Chiefs of Police and frontline officers in Calgary are already equipped with body-worn cameras. Body-worn cameras create uh, greater accountability while providing a first-person view of what a police officer encounters in a highly dynamic, intense situation. We believe that mandating the use of body-worn cameras will help strengthen public safety by documenting uh, the behavior of the police in public, uh, collecting better evidence, and improving our approach to resolving complex uh, complaints uh, during investigations. In December, Vancouver City Council passed a motion calling for VPD officers to be cool. equipped with body cameras by the year 2025. Well, the B.C. government is launching a new program designed to improve community safety by targeting repeat violent offenders. As Grace Key reports, as early as next month, specialized teams of police and probation officers and prosecutors will be focusing on those individuals with the goals of keeping the streets safe. British Columbians have seen unprovoked stranger attacks and widespread criticism about the so-called revolving door justice system for chronic offenders. The province is now creating a dedicated team made up of police, prosecutors and probation officers with a focus on repeat violent offenders. They will consult and monitor cases continuously throughout the justice system art from investigation and charge assessment through bail, trial or police sentencing to enhance release planning that includes mental health services and ongoing community supervision. The repeat violent offending intervention initiative will see $25 million spent over three years on 21 Crown Council and 21 staff for a dedicated prosecution team, four corrections officials to coordinate the program, nine correctional supervisors, nine probation officers in correction centers for release planning, and 12 community-based probation officers. So it's starting in April and the funding is over three years, so it's going to take some time to roll them out across the province, but obviously we'll be starting in the key priority areas. There's going to be a delay, you know, in getting this program really up and running, having people deployed across the province and, and you know, up to three years is what they're saying. What's really unfortunate is that we've known that this has been an issue for a, a number of years. In fact, BC Urban Mayors brought this to David Eby and to Mike Farnworth in December of 2021. So imagine the progress that could have already been made if they would have taken action when they first learned about this problem instead of, first of all, denying that the problem even existed and failing to act for so long. The initiative will operate in every region of the province and is expected to be up and running next month. Grace Key, Global News. One man is dead after what police are calling a targeted shooting. At about 8 p.m. on Monday, police were called to the scene at 168th Street and 23rd Avenue in Surrey's Grandview Heights neighborhood, outside a massage therapy business. Witnesses describe hearing gunshots and seeing someone in a hoodie running into what looked to be a getaway car. The integrated homicide investigation team has taken over the case and says the killing appears to have been a targeted, isolated incident. We will be canvassing to determine exactly what the victim was doing in that area, whether he was associated to 
um, one of the businesses or not. Uh, I don't have that information right now. At this time, we're actually still working to identify the victim to confirm his identity. Based on what we know, I, I, I believe that um, the person that we believe is the victim was not an employee of that uh, massage therapy clinic. Police are asking anyone with information or who might have relevant dash cam footage to contact IHIT. A drug trafficking investigation has led to multiple arrests and the seizure of an arsenal of guns, drugs and cash. Vernon RCMP and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit of BC executed four search warrants across three different communities in the Okanagan. The searches followed a two-month-long drug trafficking investigation into a group believed to be supplying various drugs in Vernon and other communities. RCMP executed warrants in Armstrong, Lake Country and West Kelowna, seizing more than 30 kilograms of drugs, including 20 kilograms of what's believed to be fentanyl. Police also recovered 27 assault rifles, 18 handguns and six shotguns, as well as five vehicles. Five people were arrested and later released pending charge approval. A Conservative MP from BC's Interior has taken his promise to protect first responders to Ottawa. A new bill is aimed at implementing harsher punishments against criminals who hurt first responders on the job. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it comes amid more attacks against police officers and paramedics in this province. When a Victoria police officer was stabbed with a syringe Saturday while attending an overdose, it was yet another reminder of the risks faced by first responders. Vancouver police say it's not uncommon to deal with inadvertent needle pricks. Certainly the side effects of taking things like antiretroviral drugs um, are not pleasant. It happens uh, several times a year where we have officers who are exposed to things like uncapped needles. Abbotsford police officers recently had a pellet gun discharged at them. Fortunately, no one was hurt. In October, Burnaby RCMP Constable Shaylin Yang was fatally stabbed as she checked on a man in a tent. Firefighters and paramedics say they're also facing increased violence. Because of the risks that we take every day, it's entrenched into us the scene assessment. Uh, you know, when you're approaching a scene, what are you looking for? Are there any unusual things? What are the risks? And then mitigating those through, um, you know, alternate measures and not putting yourself or your partner in danger. That danger has prompted Caribou Prince George MP Todd Doherty to propose Bill C-321. True heroes don't wear capes. They wear shoulder flashes and badges that say nurses, paramedics, firefighter, EMT, ambulance. If passed, the private member's bill would change the criminal code, making assaults against healthcare professionals and first responders an aggravated circumstance during sentencing. We absolutely support it. Uh, you know, also, also does the Paramedic Association of Canada and the Paramedic Chiefs of Canada. High-risk situations have always been part of the job for first responders. But as violence has escalated, managing those risks is increasingly difficult. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A B.C. Supreme Court ruling could serve as a warning for anyone playing recreational sports about playing too rough. As Travis Prasad reports, a recreational soccer player has been awarded more than $100,000 in damages for an incident on a soccer pitch. The costly play happened here at Windsor Soccer Field in North Vancouver during a rec league match in May of 2018. 
According to the Supreme Court ruling, the defendant Carl Cox slide-tackled the plaintiff Jordan David Miller in a manner similar to the tackle seen here. Miller's legs were taken out, causing him to fall and suffer a grade 3 shoulder dislocation. The slide tackle was legal under the game rules, but the judge concluded the defendant was negligent in his execution of it. In her March 9th ruling, Justice Wendy A. Baker said Cox's actions were dangerous and reckless and were outside the conduct a player would reasonably expect in this recreational league. She ordered him to pay Miller $103,000 in damages. We all sign up for some risks, but this wasn't part of what we signed up for. And so it was really about the judge determining, did it cross the threshold of what we consent to do when we play sports? Lawyer Seth Wielden says rec league lawsuits are rare, but do happen. In 2020, an Ontario rec league hockey player was awarded more than $700,000 after a blindside hit that he said left him with life-altering injuries. The vast majority of uh, sports don't involve injury. The vast majority of injuries don't involve law. Um, but it's worth considering what your rights are. Back on the pitch, a coach with many years in the game says this latest incident speaks to an ongoing concern at all levels of soccer, excess physicality. And I played in many countries around the world, and this uh, our Canadian soccer here, unfortunately, it's a mix of hockey and soccer. But the game here in Canada, especially in BC, it's rough. It played in a matter of kill or to be killed. I've been coaching for 30 years and never changed. As for where the money will come from, Wielden would not speak to the specifics of this case, but says typically damages are paid out of the defendant's homeowner's insurance. Travis Prasad, Global News. It is still a few years away, but World Cup excitement just hit another level today. FIFA has just announced a record-setting expansion of the 2026 tournament. What that could mean for host cities, especially Vancouver, in just over a minute. A protester crashes the stage at the Junos. Singer Avril Lavigne's reaction later on the news hour. Plus, an historic development project. BC and the Heisla First Nation announced the first Indigenous majority owned LNG export facility in Canada. That's still to come. Right now, though, FIFA is expanding the 2026 World Cup again, and it is great news for soccer fans and tourism in host cities, including Vancouver. Imad Gahi is live with more on the changes. Imad, what's being included in the new format? Well, not only will this expanded tournament feature more teams and countries than ever and more matches played, but the adjustments made by FIFA to the 2026 World Cup, which is in part being hosted here in Vancouver, mean that tournament is going to be uh, the longest it has ever been, uh, being expanded by uh, 20 days or so. So these are the changes that FIFA had confirmed today for that uh, 2026 World Cup. Uh, we'll see the number of countries expand to 48. There will be 104 matches played now, and the tournament will last 39 days. This makes the uh, tournament the biggest it's ever been. And this very moment, though, it's unknown if the increase will mean more games being hosted in Canada by its host cities of Toronto or Vancouver. The province of B.C. today said it will continue to uh, prepare for the five games it was guaranteed originally at B.C. Place until FIFA makes more information available. But fresh off uh, last November's tournament and the reception it received from local soccer fans, local pups here in Vancouver, are celebrating this news today. 
great news, mate. Yeah, yeah, great for business, great for everyone, great for Canada, you know. As the times sort of present themselves and we'll know what we're playing with, we'll be able to sort of plan it a little bit better, but uh, it'll just be like exactly what we did. We'll have a full commitment to show every single game. Although it's four years away, there's a lot of planning that goes into making sure we have those games hosted in Vancouver, and that we have all the necessary programming in place for it. So there's not a whole lot we can do right now from an individual establishment's perspective, but getting the city of Vancouver to help promote it and drive more consumers and customers and tourists to the city to watch these games is going to be a massive deal. It's going to be great news for our industry. Now, the big question still remains with this expansion to the tournament. Will there be more games played here in Vancouver? The insiders that I have been speaking today uh, echo what the province is saying, and, and that is it's too early to tell. FIFA could load more games, give its host cities more matches uh, to host, but it could also go back to the cities that had failed bids uh, that didn't make the cut. Uh, it will also uh, surround a conversation of scheduling and stadium availability when it comes to the summer of 2026 as well. Looking forward to 2026. All right, thanks for that. Amadagahi at BC Place. Well, as for how the World Cup expansion could affect us here in BC in the bigger picture, it's estimated an incremental 900,000 additional visitors to the province in the five years following the tournament. It's also estimated first-time visitors will return another four times in their lifetime. As for economic growth, BC's tourism sector could see more than $1 billion because of the tournament. Coming up, safety concerns shut down several Broadway businesses. In a 100-year-old building, you want people to be safe. The cracks in the building and questions about whether subway construction played a role. Plus, new funding for dealing with growing air passenger complaints. Why some say money isn't the answer. Crews are still on scene to a crash here in Surrey in the middle of the intersection of 72nd Avenue and 124th Street. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a multi-vehicle crash in Surrey. Ottawa is announcing an extra $75.9 million in funding over three years to help the Canadian Transportation Agency clear the backlog of passenger complaints, which have been piling up as airlines recover from the pandemic and the recent holiday travel chaos. Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa has the details and whether it is money well spent. And Thanks, Sophie. While millions are now being injected to help the Canadian Transportation Agency deal with the unprecedented backlog of complaints that currently exist, critics argue throwing more money at an already broken system isn't the answer. What's truly needed is a major overhaul of the agency and legislative change. For many, when it comes to air travel, frustration has become part of the experience. If anything, you guys should be arresting them. Far too often burdened with cancelled flights, delays, and lost luggage. Ottawa now offering some relief. The federal minister of transport announcing millions of dollars in additional funding to the Canadian Transportation Agency to speed up the processing of passenger complaints. We are providing close to $76 million more over three years to the agency to reduce the backlog of complaints. Right now, the CTA has a backlog of over 42,000 complaints. Approximately 87% of those identified as flight disruptions. Tuesday's announcement will mean 200 additional employees to help deal with those complaints. That will take a massive dent out of the backlog. 
But some industry experts are skeptical, saying throwing more money at a broken system isn't the answer, especially when you consider the feds gave the CTA $11 million last year only to see the backlog of passenger complaints balloon. Is the CTA the right body? Is CTA have the right methodology to fix these things and fix them efficiently? And the answer to that, of course, is no. Others say the Minister of Transport would do better to focus his attention on fixing the legislative framework when it comes to air passenger protection rights. The provisions of Canada Transportation Act relating to passenger protection needs to be overhauled to create a foundation for a regime which is uh, synchronized with the European Union's gold standard. For his part, the transport minister says new rules are coming soon to strengthen air passenger protections, which should be tabled this spring. And part of those protections include closing a loophole which allows airlines to deny customers compensation for cancelled flights. The federal transport minister says his government wants to ensure the burden of proof no longer rests with travellers, but with the airline. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks, Anne. A number of businesses in East Vancouver are watching their heritage building crumble around them. Scaffolding has been set up to protect pedestrians from potential falling bricks, and a handful of owners have been forced to close while engineers figure out what to do. Julie Nolan has the story. To say the past couple of years have been difficult for Alan Ingram is an understatement. His shop, Home on the Range Organics, located along the Broadway corridor, has seen its fair share of disruptions. Since we had uh, this construction started, on a personal level, it's been uh, uh, affected me over $250,000 in sales, uh, less. In recent weeks, potential loose bricks and cracks in the aging building's facade were spotted. Then on Friday, due to public safety concerns at 245 East Broadway, Ingram was ordered to close his business by the landlord's engineer. The survey that was done on Friday established that there might be sufficient damage there to be able to cause um, enough damage for people to be potentially hurt. By Monday, some businesses with rear access were able to open, but Ingram and others like Skylar Stock remain closed. And as each day passes, they're taking a hit they can't afford. Is it frustrating? I would say, yeah, why not? You know what? We've been through this, like closing down the pandemic happens. You know, like there's a lot of people that rely on what's taking place here. As for who is responsible, the city of Vancouver says its engineers did not order the closure. They say city staff installed scaffolding weeks ago to protect pedestrians and cracks in the brick facade were observed before the Broadway tunneling began. And it was more recently uh, observed to have some loosened bricks that is tied to the overall condition of the building, not the project. The tunnel boring machine has gone by. Um, vibrations were not observed at all, and there is monitoring equipment on site. But Ingram isn't convinced and now calling on the province to compensate small business owners for loss of revenue during construction. For example, Canada Line construction resulted in several lawsuits as dozens of businesses were forced to close in the late 2000s. We look to the province to be able to step up and put in a compensation package that should have been there for the Cambry line that they could definitely do now. Back to these businesses on Broadway, they're in a holding pattern as city staff is set to meet with building engineers on the next steps. Julie Nolan, Global News. Still to come tonight, familiar voices that are actually fake.
I'll have you know I graduated top of my class in the Navy SEALs. How AI can clone audio content with troubling implications later on the news hour. Plus, an historic deal for a new LNG facility. How it's the first under a new framework for all future energy projects in the province. Another easy night for traffic in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge, with just some leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The provincial government is committing millions of dollars to further the conversation over what to do with the defunct Vancouver Island Rail Corridor. As Kylie Stanton reports, it's the latest move in the long-running controversy over the future of the historic route. It's been more than a decade since these trains were in use, hauling freight and carrying passengers up and down Vancouver Island. The dream of the railway being restored is still very much alive. We have to get it right and get it on the right footing, uh, which means uh, working very closely uh, through a, a lens of reconciliation with our First Nations partners. Fueled by a March 14th deadline set by the BC Court of Appeal in late 2021, the federal government did not confirm whether it would support a new rail system along the corridor. Instead, more than 10 acres taken from the Sonoas First Nation for the purpose of the railway will be returned. And $18 million in provincial funding has been committed for future planning. I think that uh, while they uh, were clearly not in a position to respond to the courts today about investments, uh, it is uh, pleasing to me to see that they have uh, recognized the importance of the island uh, rail corridor. But critics say this move only adds to countless studies and consultations already conducted on the fate of the tracks. This has been ongoing for a number of years and I think that the province's uh, lack of leadership and, and transparency on this and to put out a news release that is, is very not clear um, shows that they're even confused on where they're going next. It's a different story for the Sonoas First Nation that's celebrating the return of its land. In a statement, the chief writes, we are going to get to work immediately to ensure the railway no longer impedes our community's safety, development and access. The Island Corridor Foundation, a charity that manages the rails, said it was taking time to review the decisions before commenting. But when it comes to the project, time is ticking. Given the trajectory of growth here, given the frailty of our highway infrastructure uh, during an extreme uh, climate-related event, so to have alternates, to have some redundancy built into your transportation system is smart. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, the province is giving approval to Cedar LNG, the Heisland Nation-led multi-billion dollar project near Kitimat. It's also announcing a new energy action framework to ensure all new LNG projects fit within BC's climate commitments. Richard Zussman has more. Cedar LNG, the first Indigenous majority-owned natural gas facility in Canada, has long been touted as historic. Now, it has environmental approval. Today is about changing the course of history for my nation and Indigenous peoples everywhere. A history where Indigenous people were left on the sidelines. 
Premier David Eby alongside representatives from the Heisla First Nation making the announcement Tuesday. The $2.4 billion floating LNG facility off the coast near Kitimat expected to create hundreds of jobs produce close to zero emissions by 2030, and bring economic certainty. We are demonstrating how we can responsibly advance LNG development in our, in our province while protecting the environment. We can take charge of our future and be partners with industry. But there are still hurdles, including permitting for the project. Right now, the permitting process in BC is a gong show. You'll be lucky if you get a, a permit for, say, forestry. The province making sure every other fossil fuel project now follows these same standards, laying out an entirely new development framework, requiring all LNG facilities to pass an emissions test with a plan to hit net zero by 2030. A cap will eventually be in place for emissions for the oil and gas sector. A clean energy office will be established to fast-track investment. And BC Hydro must look to accelerate overall electrification. We think that the dichotomy, the idea that you can only uh, have economic development by abandoning environmental principles, uh, or that you, uh, by holding to environmental principles, you have to give up on jobs and opportunities of false uh, idea. The environmental movement ecstatic at the news. This signals new priorities and a new approach to building our economy, one that focuses on clean energy projects. But there's skepticism. The province can pull this off. What kind of miracle have we come across now will be built in time for LNG Canada Phase 2 let alone Cedar. And now countries like Japan and Korea wait to see when BC can actually deliver. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Federal Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre is in New Westminster taking aim at Canada's opioid crisis. BC is already at the forefront of a national class action lawsuit against makers and distributors of opioids. The court action hopes to make companies pay the costs of an opioid crisis that has claimed more than 11,000 lives. Purdue Pharma has already settled one claim for $150 million. Poiliev says if he were to win the next election, he would join the provincial lawsuit and launch new suits. But Poiliev is throwing cold water on another B.C. initiative, the decriminalization of drugs for personal consumption. Decriminalization has been effectively practiced in Vancouver for the last five or six years. Police have not been arresting people for possession for that time. We've seen the result. The NDP liberal approach over the last seven years has been a disaster. And we see it walking down Hastings Street. We see it in the data. BC's exemption for people carrying small amounts of illicit drugs took effect at the end of January for a three-year pilot project. BC's Association of Police Chiefs approves the policy. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Busted going 150 in a 50 zone. What we know about the driver pulled over by police early yesterday morning. Plus, why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? The protester who interrupted Avril Lavigne at the Junos. One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. A young driver in the Fraser Valley has learned an expensive lesson about speed limits. The Abbotsford Police Department says it clocked a vehicle going 150 kilometers an hour around 1 a.m. on Monday. The speed limit in that area was 50 kilometers an hour. 
The driver was just seven, 17 years old with a Class 7N license. More than $1,000 in fines were issued to the young driver and the vehicle, which was his parents, was impounded. Oopsies. Oops. That's a timeout for sure. <laughs> okay, Yvonne Shell here with a look at our weather forecast and we're starting to warm up. Yeah, double digits so. I'll show you which days, uh, but we are going to see those temperatures on the rise paired with some sunshine. This is great news. Uh, we're the first week of spring break, and I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. Beautiful shot overlooking our tower cam right now. Temperatures are currently sitting at 8. We've got a few breaks in there, but there's still a bit of a blip in the forecast this evening, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. We could still see a few isolated showers right along the west end. It'll be similar extending in towards the Fraser Valley, right along the Sunshine Coast, and a few areas across the island. So we're not out of the clear just yet. Overnight, we'll still hang on to that chance for some showers. And then as we get in towards tomorrow, this ridge of high pressure is going to continue to build and will benefit with plenty of sunshine in the mix. So the outlook as we get in through the overnight and a look ahead towards tomorrow morning. So that chance of showers overnight by tomorrow morning, it'll clear and then we'll be into some sunshine and dry conditions. In the coming days, the upper level chart just showing us that ridge building. It'll take us in towards our Friday, likely the start of the weekend so far with that sunshine. And then the latter half on Sunday, we'll see the return for some wet weather. The northern half of the province along the coast with a few wet flurries for the morning hours, changing over to a chance for some showers. Still chilly for the northeastern corners of the province. A few isolated flurries will be across the central interior, but still pleasant. Many areas into the southern half of the province for higher elevations have seen a break. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, Kamloops double digits up to 10 degrees. Northern and western edge of the island could still see a few showers in the mix and then breaks as we get in through the day. Victoria highs closer to 11 degrees. We'll see a range in temperatures in the coming days. Areas closer to the water and away from the water. Teens in the next few Friday, Saturday, even by Saturday away from the water, we could get up to 15 degrees and then that change for Sunday. Tonight's weather window, a great shot. This was taken along the Kootenai Pass and Barry captured this this afternoon. So all right, thanks for that, Yvonne. A topless protester is facing mischief charges for interrupting the Junos. This music is gained a worldwide audience who sold out shows in Canada, the U.S. Pardon me. That's singer Avril Lavigne confronting a topless protester on stage at the awards show in Edmonton last night. The unexpected guest climbed onto the stage during the live broadcast protesting Ontario's plans to develop portions of a protected green belt. Soon after, she was calmly escorted off the stage by security. Avril wasn't having it, though. All right. I love that. She's... She is led off by security after she got on the stage. Right. What was security doing before I'm not she sure. got on the stage? Were they looking at their list? Wait a minute. Do we have a topless woman allowed on stage? You know, at a music awards show, you never know what's in the plans, right? You think you'd know. That's not part of the show. You yeah. would think. Uh, okay. But uh, well, they got there just in time to take her off the stage after Escorted off, off calmly. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of the Canucks who's really enjoyed playing under Rick Tockett is JT Miller. Well, I don't know. This wasn't a too, too fun of a place to be in the beginning and mid part of the year. Now, he's not openly dissing Bruce Boudreaux there, but Miller feels Tockett's system has made things much better for Vancouver. Also tonight, the new technology that can clone anyone's voice, how it works, and the ethical concerns.
Are you done? Are you ready? I am ready. Were you Instagramming or something? No, no, I don't okay. Instagram. I was just looking at something. You were tweeting. No. I was not tweeting. I don't tweet either. No, because you have a forum right here. I have a forum right here. I don't need to add to it. I've got lots of camera time. Uh, the uh, Canucks are on a four-game win streak, their longest of the season, and tonight Dallas is in town. Now, there is no way to tell if the good play of late by Vancouver will carry over to next season because we've all seen this movie before. We've seen strong finishes in the recent past, and they didn't transfer to the following year, but we're going to have to wait until October to find out if this one will. As of right now, though, the Vancouver Canucks have looked a lot more structured in their play, and with more on that and the game tonight, here's Jay. When the Vancouver Canucks began this six-game homestand a couple of weeks ago, they were sitting sixth from the bottom of the National Hockey League. Solid NHL draft lottery positioning thanks to all that losing. But as we've all seen, the Canucks are playing winning hockey these days. They're riding a season-high four-game winning streak and have climbed up two rungs on the NHL ladder to sit 25th overall in the National Hockey League. It's a different vibe on the ice. It's also a different vibe in the dressing room. This wasn't a two too fun of a place to be in the beginning and mid part of the year. Um, it's a bit of a show, sorry for swearing, but I mean, it really was uh, a lot of distraction. I think that we've kind of moved on as a team. We understand who we're going to be for the most part moving forward, and it's fun to come to the rink again. Uh, it's very fresh around here. We're playing, and on top of that, I mean, the main part, we're playing well as a group, and it's not really about wins and losses at the end of the day right now. It's about, you know, enjoying the process of getting better as a group and having good habits and being accountable, and we're, we're starting to do that, and I think the resu results are showing as well. So. I mean, in a general sense, just a more fun place to be right now. Should be another good one here at Rogers Arena. The Vancouver Canucks have won seven of their last ten. It's the identical same story for the Dallas Stars. The Stars are sitting atop the Central Division with 37 wins and 87 points. That's the second most in the Western Conference. I told you guys this, the little things for me count, and I, I'm seeing it. Body position, you know, chip, I call it chipping a body, getting in front of a guy for your teammate. Our tracking has been really good. I thought, you know, our back checking, that's how you win hockey games, you know. Um, you know, and I think guys have bought into that. If, 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 you know, yeah, you want, sure, system and you want guys scoring, I get, but it's the little things to me matter, and I think they understand that. They, they value it. That's what, that's what I've seen as, as, as every day goes on. They're valuing those little things. No game day skate for the Vancouver Canucks and no lineup changes. Thatcher Demko will start for the Vancouver Canucks. And following tonight's game here at Rogers Arena against the Dallas Stars, the Canucks embark on a three-game road trip with stops in Arizona, Los Angeles, and Anaheim. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. The second game between the Vancouver Whitecaps and Real España of Honduras is tomorrow in San Pedro Sula. Vancouver won the first game 5-0 last week, and because it's a total goal series, the Caps are going to rest a number of regulars. So they'll be fresh for Saturday's league game against the LA Galaxy. Now, the Whitecaps should not lose a 5-0 lead, even though they're on the road. Uh, not playing the game in Honduras will be Ryan Gold, Kubos won't play, Gressel, Schaaf, and uh, Veselinovic. And Sergio Cordova has been called up to play for the Venezuelan national team, so he'll miss the game against Minnesota on March 25th. The uh, Caps expect Real Espana to be better because they'll be at home. And given the temperature, which could be 33 degrees at kickoff, Vancouver needs to be cautious. You're going to find that it's going to be really hot, so the intensity will be lower naturally. Uh, I think we need to be very, very good positionally and uh, not give up uh, uh, anything, especially in our midfield, because they can, they can create problems. And the more patient we will be, 
the more chances we'll have to score a goal and get, and get forward in the, in the scoreboard. And defender Christian Gutierrez was picked up by Toronto FC after the Whitecaps put him on waivers. He's been having injury issues, but mostly he's been unhappy being with the Whitecaps for a while now. Uh, last year he was uh, uh, angry, I would say, at a couple of times because he wasn't playing. Uh, he was uh, he was like um, you know reacting not in the right way. Nothing major, eh? but uh, I thought that at some point that last year he. He didn't have the, the will to stay. As you heard earlier, 2026 Men's World Cup of Soccer will have a record 104 games because they'll still have groups of four teams in the first stage rather than groups of three, which was the original plan. That means each team is guaranteed a minimum of three games rather than two. Now, FIFA knows this will mean more ticket sales and more money will come in and host cities like Vancouver could get more games, which is good for us. But... The players are not happy with the extra game since that could mean fatigue and a higher risk of injuries. And at the World Baseball Classic, Canada beat Columbia by the score of five to nothing, so our record is now two and one. Okay. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Up next, the AI news you have to hear to believe and why some are raising concerns. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, 17 feral horses have been shot dead on Crown land near Kamloops. Several investigations are underway. We'll have details tonight. Plus, startling video of an attempted armed robbery of a Vancouver pot shop. Nobody was hurt, but we'll tell you how this incident is raising safety concerns among people who work in that industry. These stories and more on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. Well, the use of artificial intelligence, AI, in our daily lives has exploded in recent years from emails to face recognition. But some experts are sounding the alarm now about the latest developments in scams. I'll have you know I graduated top of my class in the Navy SEALs. For the record, that's not really Prince Harry. It's just one example of what's sweeping the Internet today. The latest deepfakes aren't so much about looks, but sound. See this speech by Leonardo DiCaprio? I stand before you not as an expert. Well, a voice replication company used AI to generate the sound of podcaster Joe Rogan. One of the 400,000 people. Steve Jobs. And the billions of others around the world. Robert Downey Jr. As an actor... I pretend for a living. And others. The technology to quickly clone someone's voice is available to anyone with an internet connection, giving them the ability to make manufactured content like this. I'm hungry. Hey, boy, give me some chicken nuggets. To see how the tech works, we headed to Silicon Valley's Resemble AI, a company that recently teamed up with the filmmakers behind the Andy Warhol diaries, recreating Warhol's voice for some of the narration. I went down to the office because they were making a robot of me. Resemble AI says, unlike other voice cloning platforms, they require a person's consent before uploading samples of their voice, which we gave. So we uploaded a few examples of my own voice and cadence, and soon I could type in anything and have it come out sounding freakishly close. This is what my voice sounds like when I clone it. Let's see. This is what my voice sounds like when I clone it. Wow. And this is just based on five, ten minutes of my voice? Five minutes of audio, yeah. So we've got Lester in here, too. 
Please take care of yourselves and each other. With the tech has come the potential for misinformation and abuse. What's your reaction when you see headlines about hackers taking somebody's voice without their permission, replicating it, and impersonating them? We have to be very careful about uh, deploying these models out and how they're being accessed. Uh, we also have to be aware that these models are going to be used by everybody. Resemble AI says they have safeguards to prevent fraud, but critics say others don't. How do you see people using this technology? So think the types of phishing scams that we have all seen, but more sophisticated because now you're going to get a phone call from somebody that sounds like somebody you know. Meaning going forward, just because you hear it doesn't mean you should believe it. Eddie Schwartz, NBC News. That wasn't me. It's creepy. It's all just creepy. No one could ever replace you, Yvonne. <laughs> Not even AI. No. And same goes for both of you. <laughs> Someone's going to do the forecast for me, though, I feel. Final word on the weather? Uh, we are going to see a bit of a blip this evening. Still a few isolated showers. A nice clearing is on the way. Double digits in the coming days with some sunshine, guys. Love it. All right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us. Good night.